Do you plan to design a new sim center, expand your existing simulation center or simulation program? Just give innovative sim solution experts a call. We are a team of simulation subject matter experts and consultants with over 50 years of experience designing simulation centers and programs. We are here to help you save time and money. Innovative Sim Solutions is your one-stop shop for all your simulation needs. Welcome to the Sim Cafe, a podcast produced by the team at Innovative Sim Solutions, edited by Shelley Hauser. Join our host, Deb Tauber, as she sits down with subject matter experts from across the globe to reimagine clinical education and the use of simulation. So pour yourself a cup of relaxation, sit back, tune in, and learn something new from the Sim Cafe. Welcome to another episode of the Sim Cafe. Today, we're blessed to have Amar Patel from CAE join us as our guest. Amar, would you like to tell our guests some more information about yourself? Sure. Happy to. Thank you so much. And first and foremost, thanks for uh, having me on and allowing me to be here with you on some cafe. Super excited to, you know, certainly share some of the stories we're going to talk about today. So my name is Amar Patel. I serve as the chief learning officer at, uh, at CAE Healthcare. Been here about uh, four years, come out of the healthcare hospital system world. So spent the last uh, 12 plus years of my life at Wake Med Health and Hospitals in Raleigh, North Carolina. And then uh, even prior to that was at was a firefighter paramedic in Baltimore, Maryland. Thanks, Amar. And I, I met Amar actually at IMSH. I went to a presentation he was doing on return on investment and was just fascinated by the things that he was doing at WakeMed. And we have known each other for a while and I've been yep. following him and generally reach out to him if I have questions um, because Amar, I think you're brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks. So Omar, we'll start out with our first question, which is, why don't you tell us about your journey into simulation? Because we all have such unique journeys getting into simulation. Um, started in the world in 1999, 98, really uh, working on the first Medi ECS 1 and 16, as well as uh, the original HAL I was at the University of Maryland, Maryland Farm Rescue Institute, and um, I was an ALS instructor teaching, and they had just purchased two brand new products in simulation. And I got the ask, right? The ask was, hey, you're kind of tech savvy. We have these things they call simulators. Not really sure what we do with. We, you know, we want to move into mobile simulation. Will you, uh, will you just take a look at it? And from there, you know, really started to, to muck around with the patient sims and try to figure out the educational methodologies that are utilized there. And we started to integrate them into, into the courses and the programs that we were offering. And then we ended up uh, saying, this is really cool. Let's build a mobile program because, you know, the University of Maryland has these mobile trucks that they do fire service training with. And so we ended up building an entire trailer with uh, mobile simulation. And from that point forward, it was kind of a, uh, here we go, I'm hope. And, and that journey has continued since. Excellent. Thanks. Why don't you share with our guests your favorite or most impactful simulation story? This is always my favorite question. You know, I kind of have two. One ends up being a tearjerker and one ends up really kind of showing the importance and impact simulation really has across the world. And this was when I was at WeekMed. 
Um, we were doing residency training with your first, second, and third year emergency medicine residents. It was a trauma patient that needed to be sedated and intubated. And like some centers, we actually had a Pixis in the lab. And so part of the goal was the time frame and required for the prescribing physician to wait for nursing to obtain the medications from the Pixis. As the scenario evolved, one of the orders that was present there was for the RSI kit to be pulled out. And the order that the resident had given at the time was, can you provide the patient with 100 milligrams of succinylcholine? The room heard 800 milligrams because he said it so fast and there was no readback that the entire space heard 800. And even after the resident that was administering medication said, hey, doc, I only have two vials, right? So I only have 200 milligrams of ducks. He goes, well, I told you to give you 100 milligrams of succinylcholine. And he said it that fast. And so the resident went out to the Pixis, grabbed one additional vial and realized that there was now only three vials in the entire sim center. Where does he get the other five? And so he, uh, he continued to call pharmacy or simulated pharmacy. And this entire process went through to the point where he ended up giving 800 milligrams of sucks. The debriefings was impactful, right? There was no shout out flag call. There was no double check in the, in the notion. Even after a, a verification, it was acknowledged and moved forward. But it just goes to show the importance of simulation, of clear communication. What it ended up being was the resident didn't know that each vial only had 100 milligrams. The resident thought each vial was 10 milligrams or 15 milligrams, right? And so in his head, he's like, well, yeah, okay, eight, eight vi- that the math works for me. I don't understand. And the clear communication wasn't present. So it's such an impactful thing. There's a huge lesson learned across the board, and it's a story that I certainly share often. The second story, I think that's a huge tearjerker ends up being, we were running a, a complex multi-vehicle accident scenario in the SIM center, and it was 100% focused on communications, delivery of bad news. And we had a standardized patient that was the parent, or that was dad. We had a birthing simulator that was mom, and then we had a, an infant. And in the story, mom ends up uh, emergently coming in after a car accident. We end up emergently delivering the baby, and both the baby and the, the parent die. And it becomes a question of how do you tell the husband he just lost his entire family? And the communication pieces, the discussions around it, the entire room was crying, right? Like, how do you have the conversation with the students who are delivering this bad news to a a standardized patient? And how do you communicate that? How do you deliver that information? And that person's then going to give you feedback on what they heard from you, what they felt from you, right? And all of that to, to later discover that one of our students had recently lost, was in a similar scenario with a family member where they recently lost mom and baby, right? So it ended up being even a more personal interaction in the space. Um, it's one that certainly shares the value, the, the personalization that simulation can have on the work that you do and, and the relevance it plays in, in, in the world that we play. And so it's a story that is so impactful that you tend to remember remember things. And I often share People will forgive you for what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel at the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think delivering bad news is just so incredibly challenging for the healthcare teams, especially in the age of this texting and the lack of communication. And I remember when I worked in the emergency department, we had a four-year-old that was struck by a garage door. We attempted to resuscitate him, but we were unable. And I remember you know, we had done so much that by the time that we have the family come in, 
this little boy was, he, he did not look good. And it was difficult, not only because of the situation, but because we had tried to do so many things that were unsuccessful. But delivering bad news is something that is very difficult. And I remember that was way before we did debriefings. Like at that time, debriefings were thought of as weak, that that was something that only weak people did, that you don't you know, get together and talk about things. So they did the debriefing maybe two days later and the entire, you know, all the people that were involved showed up and it was, it was a challenge, you know, and, and I'm just glad that things have evolved now that people have an opportunity to kind of take a deep breath after these bad situations and actually discuss them. It seems like the culture is at least moving towards something like that. Being open to conversation, I think where the sim, you know, where educational methodologies starts to play a huge role, where simulation plays a role is understanding the value it has. Because for me, I would love to make sure that people say, I had an amazing conversation about what I had just experienced in simulation look, we had a horrible event or we had a really good event at the bedside or in the unit or, you know, in the street, let's talk about it, right? You should be debriefing after these complex cases or or I would arguably say even the simple cases because having the discussion is good for you. It's healthy for you as well as it puts closure and lessons learned for everyone across the board so that the next event that you have is even that much better, right? And you understand the good, the bad, right? You, you take something away from it. So whether it's in simulation or in the real world medicine, I'll call it the debriefings, the conversations, these discussions, the peer-to-peer recaps are such an important thing to ensure that we do. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I, in fact, my neighbor's house burned down on July 5th and it was, the houses are probably like 12, you know, maybe 20 feet apart. And during this, it was a box fire. And you're probably familiar with that, where they just want to keep it to one house. And the flames were flying out of their, their house. My, my husband said, I think we might have to evacuate because their house is on fire and it's very close. And fortunately, the firefighters came from five, six, seven areas and were able to contain the blaze. But I called my friend, the chaplain, to debrief about it the next day. And she said, you know, that's once again what you mentioned sharing that story, getting those feelings out. How blessed were we to be spared by this, this horrible event? Yeah, I think debriefing is so critically important in so many areas, not just simulation, but so many areas of our life where we share our story because we're all vulnerable. Yep, yep. Yeah, and especially now, right now, so you think about COVID and the impact COVID has on all of us, right? The, the communication, we can never under-communicate I would argue say we can sometimes over-communicate, but at the same time, over-communication is such a, such a key thing for us. Right. You know, being lonely from the pandemic, the pandemic created so much loneliness and isolation. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. So Amar, what about anything that you want to share during the pandemic? Any lessons you guys learned? Yeah, I mean, the world kind of stopped. I would say for us as an organization, we pivoted pretty hard into making sure that the needs of the community were addressed in real time. And we learned a lot of lessons in digital, I would say. I think the world learned a lot of lessons in digital. As a company, CA pivoted pretty hard into making sure that everything from ventilator education to building ventilators to um, helping to, to establish and set up vaccination sites all over North America to 
to really just sitting down with friends and colleagues and customers and, and partners to really say, how can we help you? Is it a conversation? Is it an educational event? Is it a webinar? Is it just simply let's have a cup of coffee, you know, six feet apart from each other, just, just, just to be able to, to see each other to make sure everybody's okay. And, you know, there was just a lot of lessons learned in the human piece of it, right? We oftentimes will, culturally, we often say, okay, to your point earlier, we're in silos. How do I make sure that the people that work with me every day are okay, right? We don't, we need them to be healthy, both physically and emotionally. And so how do we make sure that we continue to engage them, right? Um, So just a, a lot of lessons around, interactions and communication and building teams and building rapports. And it's the little things that matter, right? It's your birthday. Let me send you a basket. It's your anniversary. Let me send you and your spouse a gift card. It's just the little things that are such an important thing that oftentimes in the day-to-day chaos of things that we forget. Um, and so lots of focus on, on the little things is what we really, I'm super proud of, right? Just keeping the teams engaged and happy was where, you know, our, at least our head was really at. And, you know, as an organization, pivoting to meet the needs of the community was a huge piece of this, right? From training development, as I mentioned before, building ventilators or going out into the community and putting vaccine sites in place, right? I spent weeks, states just doing that. And that's the stuff that is needed. And that was the stuff that was needed at the time to make sure that we're all taken care of. No, you're 100% right. Thanks, Samara, for bringing that up. And I think when you meet with people and asking them, you know, how are you? How are you really, right? How are you really doing? And, um, you know, being open to to hear what they have to say, because a lot of us have gone through a lot during this, this period of time. Yep. I mean, the loss of family members, the loss of, you know, lots of divorces for or lots of friends, right? I mean, it's just been a crazy time. Um, Lots of realizations for folks for work and jobs and the need for just space and and mental health. And honestly, you know, the need for just to be able to say, you know what, enough is enough. I'd love to come see you dinner. We'll do it 10 feet apart. I don't care, but at least I can see a face, right. And I can have a, a level of communication. And so, yeah, it's such a hard time for folks. And I think it continues to be right. Even in the current environment where, yeah, travel is open, people are out and about, Airports are absolutely crazy. And, you know, for some folks that haven't flown in two years or three years, being in an airport is claustrophobic. It's super, right now it's overcrowded. I'm one of those people. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not good, right? It's not, it, and so having a hand to hold as you're walking through airports, right? Or, or onto a bus or a train is such a, a, such a huge thing. Well, I'm going to ask our next question. Thank you for that very kind of intense discussion, but I appreciate it. So where do you see the future of simulation going, Amar? You've got a a big role, so I'm sure you guys talk a lot about the future. Uh, Well, pre-pandemic, we always said you got to be in the lab. You got to do the hands-on component of it. You have to be in a controlled space all the time. Your competencies have to be done in, in the lab environment, and you need to have an operator and a facilitator, and you have to have all these components to be able to drive education forward. The pandemic has taught us that the answer is you don't really right? There is a percentage in which you absolutely have to. And there's certainly a percentage in which there's other methodologies and modalities to be able to to do the work. And we pivoted pretty hard, right? Across the world, we went from this notion of about 100% 
I would arguably say about 80% really of simulation and 20% of other things to 20% live and 80% other things. And institutions and schools were all trying to figure out how do I do virtual? How do I do this? How do I do that? How do I deliver simulation experiences to the same level of competency and depth and breadth? And, you know, as we think about the future, we don't know where that balance currently is. I don't know if it's still 80-20 or 70-30 or 50-50, right? I think the world is still trying to figure itself out. There are two things that are absolutely a must, right? One is the future is going to focus on virtual. We know that. We've seen it. We're starting to see the pivot. I used this example um, about a week ago where I said seven years ago, eight years ago, when you came to IMS8, there were hit or miss VR vendors out there. And some had some really cool stuff they were trying to figure out and some didn't have anything at all. They were just kind of early in life. And then a year later, it all went away. And then four years ago, you came to IMSH and there was like, okay, it's a little bit more. There's a few other folks that are doing some really interesting stuff. Then the pandemic happened. All those people in law because of the demand in the market grew astronomically fast because of the need to be not remote in nature. We saw a lot of really cool stuff come up. This year, if you were at IMSH, there were 33 different vendors all focused on that. Nothing but virtual or extended reality as a collective whole, whether it's augmented mixed or, or um, virtual. That tells us a lot, right, as where things are. And in my head, I had just finished a research study that focused on looking at the last 19 months of where education has transitioned into. And you hear in learning experiences the notion of flipped classrooms all the time. There's a huge value in flipped classroom, but it sits in this dead center of cost versus impact um, long term. We hear, you know, universities are using discussion boards and video-based learning tools. And that really does sit in this, it's a low cost element with a low return long-term, right? What you see in a video has an impact for you, maybe a few months down the road, you're like, oh, it's a whistle in the wind, right? It was just kind of something that was there. It doesn't have that retention type to it. What we saw was the utilization of augmented reality, artificial intelligence, and simulation became something that is a sustained long-term residual memory. It has a cognitive and a practical application associated with it. And that has that long-term impact for you as a learner. So as we think about the future of where learning is going, it is going to, to be virtual. There's a heavier emphasis on virtual. The what the virtual is, is still to be decided. Is that virtual reality? Is that simulated equipment that is in a virtual capacity? is that digital twins of technology. And you're seeing a lot of focus today across the market, not only in healthcare simulation, but in other industries and in engineering and civil and other things where digital twinning is a huge component for long-term retention of knowledge. So while we in healthcare are seeing a change or a pivot, the world is shifting to digital education. Now, there are, again, some things that are practical-based. So will I ever see the future change to be 100% virtual? The answer is no. Not even possible, right? Will we see a change in where it is virtual with simulation in a controlled environment and center with skills based in a clinical environment? Absolutely, right? I don't know if that's a third, a third, a third yet, but we'll continue to see a significant emphasis on digital learning applications and digital learning technologies with the utilization of artificial intelligence as a driving force behind that, right? I need to know about you as a learner. We need to get away from the notion of thinking that we as an educator know everything about everything. We need to become very learner-centric, very customized in the individual learning experiences, very understanding of where the needs of the individual learner are. Because if you're super talented on the iPhone, but not so on the Android device, then I need to spend time teaching you Android 
not iPhone versus most businesses will say, I should, I should just show you both to make sure you can drink our coffee all at the same time, right? I do see um, a future in digital as that forefront. The second piece I think is important to highlight is advocacy and legislation. Where do I see our future going? A heck of a lot of effort and work focused on changing the rules and the policies that mandate and drive simulation to become at the forefront of quality and patients. We have got to change the rules that help us become safer in healthcare and help us as individuals stay safe. Right. And I think it's twofold patient, patient safety and outcomes, but it's also provider safety and outcomes. And I think the future is going to focus on advocacy and legislative change that helps drive that. And we've seen great success in the transportation industry and in the movie industry. You know, it's about time healthcare gets a focus on it. Excellent. Excellent response, Mark. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to ask another question and I, I shared it with you. So, Can you share with our listeners the biggest thing you would like them to know, something that you learned, and it essentially changed the way you practice? I would say several, right? I think the the biggest takeaway for me growing up in this space is patience, and we don't all have it. You know, when I first joined the education world, I was like, yeah, simulation, everybody should do it. Rock on. Let's make it happen. And I quickly got to a place where I was disappointed at the speed in which everybody else works. You got to have patients. And primarily because people don't always understand what you're trying to accomplish. The CFOs of the world that you're working closely with see numbers, see a spreadsheet, see finance, see data. You're talking to them about quality outcomes. You're not talking to them about data. Sit down for a moment, take a deep breath and talk to them about data. The CEOs of the world are looking for outcomes, right? Show them the outcomes, Stories tell them the outcomes. Narratives share the outcomes. An elevator pitch, right? If, if I'm sitting in an elevator with somebody that I'm trying to get funds with, taking that deep breath, having the patience and saying, I want to tell you a story about a positive outcome that happened in the emergency department yesterday, all because of the work I did in simulation. And sharing those stories, we sometimes pass off. But what I've learned is share the stories take the time, take the deep breaths. It's changed the way I do things completely to the point where even in my own lectures, you'll start to see stories. Those stories are such an important thing because you may not remember the content material, but you're going to remember the story. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Is there anything that you want to ask me? You know, um, you've been traveling as well, I know. So how are you? I'm doing well. I, we moved into a new house about a year ago and uh, gave us a lot more space. And we have um, the two grandbabies. One's coming up on three and one's already three. And then I have my dog, Maggie. And um, I've been partnering with through Sikandapur on some consulting projects and that's been going really good. So I've had some, met some people in simulation virtually and personally, and it's been, it's been, things are going well. The podcast has been fun. That's been the, you know, just something that I learn so much every time I do it. And once again, it, to your point of storytelling. Yep. Yep. Stories is such an important thing and you're doing that, right? And I, I commend you for, for being on the podcast, for bringing all the people in to share the stories and to share your experiences, right? You're, you've got such a wide, wide level of experiences and so much knowledge. And you and I have collaborated on projects in the past as well. And so 
just, you know, sharing your experiences is such an important thing um, collectively. So thank you for doing that. Well, thank you. And I'll, you know, when you gave me that project in Mobile, I learned so much from that. It was just an amazing opportunity. And once again, I want to thank you. I'll shout out to the University of Mobile, uh, Alabama. Yep. So if our learners would like to get a hold of you, is there anywhere they can get a hold of you or? Yeah. So two places. You're welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn. So I'm up on LinkedIn, usually out and about and, uh, on messages. Uh, and then my email is amar, A-M-A-R dot Patel, P-A-T-E-L at C-A-E.com. So both will hit me hard and uh, feel free to reach out, connect, ask questions. I'm a night owl. I tend to respond at weird hours. <laughs> so feel free to reach out anytime. Thank you. And that information will be in the show notes. Happy simulating. The Sim Cafe would like to thank Innovative Sim Solutions for this week's sponsorship. Innovative Sim Solutions for all your simulation needs. Thanks for joining us here at the Sim Cafe. We hope you enjoyed. Connect with us at www.innovativesimsolutions.com. And be sure to hit that like and subscribe button so you never miss an episode of The Sim Cafe.